Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Steve Legler on the line. Steve, how are you? I'm great. Uh, how's, how's it going with you? Things are good. Life is good. Even in the new year and everything that's going on in the world, I, I, I can't complain. I'm healthy. I'm vertical. That's, that's a good thing. Uh, so share with the audience a little bit about the work you do and, and a little bit about you. Okay. Well, I'm, in, I'm based in Montreal, but these days it doesn't really matter where people are based. And I think we've learned a lot about that in the last year or so that that it makes sense to kind of deal with people wherever they are because we can do a lot that way. I call myself a family legacy guide. I used to call myself a family legacy advisor, a family business consultant, a family business coach. So I work in that area with people who have created a business and, and maybe they're at that stage where they're the first generation and they're figuring out how they're going to leave this to the next generation, how they're going to involve them. And it's not always easy for them to figure out how to have those important conversations between generations. And sometimes actually with sibling groups that are, they know they're going to be inheriting something, having those conversations amongst themselves. So I'm kind of a specialist in that working with people who are in these situations where there's some family assets that are expected to go through some kind of intergenerational transition in the next little while and to help them figure out how they're going to do that. Now, I'm not, I, I, the people go to their lawyers and they go to their accountants to have things drawn up to save taxes and, and officialize things. But I'm, I work more with like, how are we going to work together? How are we going to make decisions together? All that stuff that, that isn't always as obvious. Where do you go to get help with this kind of stuff? It's critical. And I've seen so many stories and, and obviously I shared in the, the pre-show, you know, commentary about uh, some challenges that uh, my mom had to deal with, with uh, passing of her sister yeah. a few years ago in the estate. And yes, there was a will and it was clearly laid out, but then there was an amendment to the will that was handwritten uh, by my aunt that muddied the waters a little bit. And it really mm -hmm. created uh, a lot of dynamics and challenges with uh, siblings and of both my uncle and, you know, on my mom's side as well. Thankfully, I wasn't involved in it. I wasn't in the well, so I, I had no say in the matter on anything, but uh, it was still, I looked at it as an opportunity. And, you know, my brother and I, you know, being the only siblings of, of our parents, you know, we, you know, we've, you know, we've had the conversations already, you know, years ago of, okay, well, you know, how, how do we want this to, to play out and we, you know, we know the, um, you know, what's in the will and all that and really quick side story on this. And I, I think you'll appreciate this. Um, for years, uh, my parents had a will and when my brother and I were younger, it was, you know, basically laid out that if something happened to the both of my parents, that my brother and I would have to live with my uncle. Right. Now, you know, my uncle passed away in 2002 and my parents had not updated the will up until probably about five years ago. So, you know, we're, we're doing all this stuff and, you know, we, we commented to them and we kind of enticed them to update it was, okay, if something should happen to the two of you now, according to the will, we got to live with Uncle Joe 
And knowing how he behaved in life, I'm not sure we want to go visit and live with Uncle Joe. <laughs> love you, Uncle Joe. If you're watching and yeah. you know the afterworld, I love you. We're just poking fun at you. But it was like we don't want to do that if we could avoid that if possible. So you know, now you know we got the new will, and I verified. Nope, don't have to live with him. And that's good. We got that covered. But <laughs> but you know, it's, it's one of those things where you know, yes, you said you know the legal side of things and the accounts and making sure you know it minimizes estate taxes and all that fun stuff is good. But the actual dynamics of talking amongst yourself so that everyone is aware of what happens. So when a loved one does pass, then you don't have the, the mourning situation coupled with chaos of, right. okay, who's getting what and how and when and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's amazing that you, you do that work. So, uh, you know, we could, I'm sure that you have a ton of horror stories of, you know, of what you've seen before and, and how people can avoid those things. Yeah. Well, so that's, you, you bring up a lot of interesting things. Like you don't want to have the uncertainty compounded with the morning right? You don't want to have people that all of a sudden they're mourning the loss of someone and then they have all this confusion about what's supposed to happen or, hey, I thought it was supposed to be like this. So like, clearly the, the best situations are the ones where the family has had not just a discussion, but a series of open discussions over a period of years where they've talked about what should, what do, what do they want to have happen? Now, what often happens is the parents say, okay, I want this person to get this and this person should take over the company and all that. And then they go to their lawyer and they have it all written up and then they keep it a secret. And then they don't tell their kids. And then the kids find out and get a surprise after. And so I understand that it's, it's like a first instinct is to go to the lawyer to write things up or do that. But I always regret walking into situations where everything has been set up by one generation as a fait accompli. And they have not even involved or asked or shared anything with the ones after them. And I understand it's not easy because you don't want to talk about it because you're talking about death. And you don't want to create some kind of like uh, animosity between one or the other. But personally, if I were going to leave something unbalanced to my kids, I would want to clarify why I'm doing it while I'm still here so that I can still answer the questions as to why I did that. And that's, that's part of the problem is people... People have this keeping their cards close to the best uh, attitude about things, and especially in a family business where there's where there's a considerable amount of wealth and some complexity about how different assets, if there's a business or there's some real estate, how are these things going to be managed? Who's going to make the decisions? All these things need to be discussed with all the people in at the proper time, and not when you know dad's in the hospital and and you're not sure if he's going to make it. There was a movie that came out last year called Knives Out, and I'm not going to spoil it for people, but that's an entertaining movie. You know, it, it's got a lot of twists and turns in the end of it. You know, not spoiling it for anybody, but uh, it was like, wow, I didn't see that coming. And it's, but again, it was you, you saw the family dynamics of. You know, a parent dying, very affluent family, and everyone's yep. trying to figure out who's getting what, and they're all getting in line and saying, "Well, I should get this because of you know this," and you know, and yep. you get all those things. And if if the person that passed would have clearly laid it out and said, "Here's how it goes," yeah, they would have been mad and bickering and all that stuff, but 
everyone would have known and it completely you know diminished you know the the period of time of of the loss and then everything else that's in the movie and again not wanting to spoil it but that's that's one of those you know insane examples that you know might be more often you know a lot of what a lot of families face uh, when they deal with something like this because of the complete confusion going wait a minute i'm you know a caregiver for dad and now you know, I, I should get more of it because I had to give up so much of my life for that. And, you know, that may have been in the will, it may not have been, and who knows, in conversations and all that stuff. So it's, you know, if anybody takes anything away from this conversation, it's like, have those conversations, get it laid out. Yes, it's not a comfortable conversation, but you know what? If there is assets to be shared and passed on to another generation, that that's a gift. It really is. It's a gift. So yeah, and, and this- you, can, you can almost you know ruin it by not doing it the right way. At the, at the end of the day, you're you're setting up a situation where maybe you're you're creating a conflict that didn't have to be there. But you're talking about a movie that there's a TV show called Succession that's that's won a lot of Emmys and stuff, and it is it is a classic case of how not to do things right. So so the guy tells basically each of his kids that, yeah, yeah, you're the one that I want to take over. And then so they start, you know, fighting each other for, for things, which is which is crazy. It's really well acted and all that. And, and, and I suppose it's realistic for some families that go about it that way. But I always say, yes, watch it for the entertainment, but don't watch it as like a how to do things because it's it's actually the opposite of that. Yeah, do not emulate behaviors of bad families that, you know, have affluent lives and you know they do you know some insane things that's that's not what normal looks like and don't try to emulate that because unfortunately yeah there are families i've seen them personally that behave on that dynamic and you know good you know childhood friend of mine i saw that with his family uh at early age and i thought wow this family has some dysfunction to it because there was a competition you know everyone was basically counting down the clock when the dad was going to pass and who would take ownership of the business and who would run it and and all these other things and you know you finally had one you know the of the kids just like I don't care. I'm out of this. Leave me the heck out of it. I don't want to deal anything with it. And, you know, they had a rightful stake in things, but they went, I don't want to deal with this nightmare. So they, you know, they walked away from, you know, whatever that business ended up being worth. And I know they ended up, the family ended up selling it years later. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that uh, my, my friend was able to get anything of it because he walked away from it. But I think from a, a piece of mind standpoint, yeah. I, I think it was a big, big Perhaps, decision for him. Yeah, yeah it's you, sometimes you have to pull the plug and do those things. But uh, again, so so what are some common things you walk people through in this exercise? Because I, you know, I'm guessing that you know they they're thinking, as we've talked about before, the legal side of things and the you know the bean counter side of things. But what are some common things that they you know they don't necessarily recognize when they're going through these discussions? Well, it, 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 it's different for every family, obviously, but, but a lot of things repeat. And, and I think one of the things I can offer to families is to be that, uh, what I like to say sometimes, is that person with a different last name around that won't talk about. And so having someone to be able to sort of hold a container, ask the right questions, get them to talk about these things. So it's, it's simple things like how are 
the sibling is going to make decisions together after the parents are gone. How are you going to communicate? How are you going to solve problems together? And the, the, the best thing that I like to do is to work with a sibling group typically for a while to get them to do things together, to get them to put on a family weekend, to get them working together, to practice working together so that they know that they can work together and that they can learn to to sort of work out all the little differences in that, oh yeah, my brother, I always got to email him twice. Or my sister, well, I, usually I have to text her. Like just the, the, the small little working things about knowing how to communicate together. Who's better at what? Who takes on certain roles? Who's Who can who can take charge of things? Who's a good follower? Who are the people that you really can't rely on, unfortunately? And so you need to take make sure that the stuff that was assigned to that person, you need to take care of. If they can get used to those things on less critical decisions while everyone's around, all that work and practice will serve them in good stead later on when there are bigger decisions. Gee, dad died and now the company's worth this and now we have to decide about this. How are we going to make this decision? And something that happened last year with the pandemic is a lot of businesses owned by families got thrown for a loop about, okay, all of a sudden we're on lockdown or this or that. And the family governance, as we like to call it, but I, I really don't love that word because families don't really gravitate towards, oh, yeah, let's create some governance. But, but it really is what they are creating. But people's family governance got tested in a lot of families because all of a sudden there was a, a shutdown or they had to do this. They had to decide whether to keep paying employees, all these different decisions. And some families who had already gone through and taken care of some of these questions about how are we going to decide they got through this a lot better there's some families that didn't really have a lot of governance work pre-done and they realized holy crap hey we we gotta go figure this stuff out because my sister did something that she thought she was in her full right to do but really i thought that if we had a decision like that the whole family would have been consultants so they really need to work together to practice doing this while mom and dad are still around so that after mom and dad are no longer around, they've already sort of paved the way to figuring these things out and how they're going to, how they're going to live together, how are they going to work together. It, it almost mimics you know, a board of directors type of meeting where you got to have governance and what are the bylaws and, you know, what, who, who's the, you know, president, who's the treasurer and, you know, who's doing what kind of thing. And, and again, a lot of, I'm sure you, there's some initial resistance to people because it's in a way it can be uncomfortable, but again, for businesses, yeah, it should be clearly laid out because otherwise you, know, you have dynamics where, you know, you have, like you've alluded to before, you know, there's conversations like that television show. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to get, you know, the most of it. And they keep having those same conversations with everybody else. So everybody's like, well, I'm getting most of it. And then they realize, Oh, wait a minute. No, you're all getting, you know, 20% of it across the board. And everyone's like, no, that's not right. And you, you have the infighting coming in and it's just an absolute nightmare to deal so Michael, with. Your, your, your point about the board of directors is a good one because that's, that's the decision-making body for the business. What we're talking about now is creating like a family council, which is what it's typically called, which is the decision-making body for the family aspect. And most family, like it takes a while to get to that. You don't decide, okay, geez, I started a business and I got kids. I better create a family council. But once, 
once there's another generation that's involved and whether they're employees or owners or not, or they're just family members that are stakeholders, somehow you need to start to create the, the kind of forum where those stakeholders have a place where they can share information, where they can learn and whether they can learn how they have an impact or not, or just to understand what's going on and, and, and to converse and deal with what they will eventually be owning or controlling. And so, and it's never too early to get them involved. Uh, people always ask, so, so at what age should you share this information? And, and, and wealthy families are always, oh my God, we don't want to tell the kids how rich we are because if they know they're rich, they won't finish school and they won't get a job because they'll think they can. And, you know, that's a parenting issue. If you're, if you're worried about that, it's not because of the amount of money. It's because you haven't been preparing the kids properly. And I know plenty of families that are worth a lot of money and their kids are the smartest ones in school and they're the hardest working and, and they are not entitled at all. So the, the idea of getting the kids engaged, getting them interested, getting them involved in some way so they can feel part of it, that, build, that brings them into the family to want to build the legacy so that they're still involved because they've understood it and they've been involved from a very young age and want to continue this into the next generation and want to then continue to build what was already there and to be stewards of the family's wealth for the next generation that's going to follow them. It, it's so important. And, it, it, you know, the lessons that, you know, they, with family council and all of those things. Um, and I love how you said, you know, the parenting side of things, because sometimes those blend. They, they they think that the business side of things is also the raising the kids kind of thing. And it's a separate, separate thing. Yes, it involves the same players, but it, it it's definitely a separate entity that should be addressed accordingly and not blended in so much because family dynamics can be challenging. Even the healthiest of families have their, their challenges. And when you throw a business into it and financial aspects of it, it can really get mucky and it, it just makes for a, a big mess unless you, you know, clearly have some boundaries and defined entities and who's going to be doing what. And unfortunately, I see with so many entrepreneurs, um, they don't think about that. It's not top of mind at all. They're they're busy building their business, and they didn't necessarily build this business to become a huge family business and create a lot of wealth. They built it because they were good at something, and they they caught lightning in a bottle, and they went with it. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, I'm, I'm worth a lot of money. Oh my God, I got these kids. Oh my God, and it's like, should I stop building it to sort of concentrate on the kids? No, I, it's more fun to keep building it and. And a lot of people joke that the business is actually the, the favorite child or the, the, the third child of, a, you know, if they have two kids. And so it's, it's not something that people set out to do, right? And so, like, I wrote a book a few years called Shift Your Family Business, where the whole point was to shift from trying to make the pie bigger and to shift instead of working on the family business, instead to work, to work. It, the, the subtitle was now, geez, when you got two books, you're going, you're going back to the one from a few years ago, you start to, you start to mix them up. So it's stop working in your family business, stop working, uh, start working on your business family. So it's, it's the, the working in and working on, but also switching the focus from the business to the family. I wrote that for people like my dad who had started a business 
and grown it and my father-in-law and you get they get to the point where you know their kids are you know into their 20s and stuff and now it's i really got to stop working on making this pie bigger and instead start to figure out how i'm going to share this pie how is this going to work with people coming behind and so it, it's a it's a mental shift to actually get out of the you know what there's something more important than working on what i've created i've created it now how do i create a really good family to keep the business going after i'm done that's critical critical and, and obviously i want to make sure that i share the links to your books in, in the notes but um, i love this conversation where can people find out more about you and this incredible work you're doing the the good news that i have is my name is easy to easy to say and spell Steve Legler. There's only one vowel. It's, it's an E. It repeats a few times. And yet it's not very common. So if you just Google Steve Legler, if you if you add family business, for sure, you're going to find it. Uh, I'm, my website is actually stevelegler.com. So I'm pretty easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn. I'd love to, to hook up with other professionals who deal with the kind of families that we've been talking about. The other thing here is the kind of families I'm talking about they're not always that easy to reach, but the people who serve them, they are always looking for other people who can help them. When they have a family, that if you're a financial advisor and you have a family worth a certain, you know, and you start to hear about their things with their family, you want to help, but maybe it's not your skill set. Maybe you don't know how you even want to get paid. You're going to get paid for that, and you don't want to kick a hornet's nest. But if you can bring someone in who has that, what we call interdisciplinary fluency. I understand the accounting. I understand the finance. I understand the psychological part and can put that all together and concentrate more on the family aspect of things. So Steve Legler, just the way it sounds, L-E-G-L-E-R, uh, always happy to talk to people from family businesses or, or people who work with family businesses or wealthy families, especially when they're there's an upcoming transition from one generation to the next, even if it's not, you know, imminent, but like even 10 years before, they should be starting to have these conversations. And there's, they're conversations that don't typically happen by themselves and they're easy to kick the can down the road. So. Well, that's great. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes. And I highly encourage every entrepreneur, every business owner, uh, reach out to you because it, it's critical work. You 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 don't want your business when you pass to end up in the hands of somebody besides who you want it to go to. If you want it to go to your family, then get that clearly laid out and communicated with everybody. So when that time comes, when you pass, you know that the business will be handled the way that you want to have it handled and everyone will know all of that information. So the work you do, Steve, is absolutely amazing. So thank you so much for, for that and for being on the show. All right. Thanks, Michael. It's been great. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.